0: So we just saying that the God of angel armies is always by my side. And you know it tells us in Hebrews chapter 1 that the angels are ministering spirits to serve those who have found salvation in Christ. Psalm 91 talks about those angel armies being sent to surround and protect us. And yet I love that when we sing that song, it's still, it's not the angel armies that I'm putting my faith in. It's the king of kings who commands them that it is God with us. And we're going to see that today in 2 Kings chapter 6. In this chapter, there are a few things, really, that you have to see to believe. One of them is a miracle. One of them is a war. All of them, I think, are a challenge to us if we're really going to trust that king. Because there are things that go on around us that we can see in the physical realm But there are also things going on around us that happen in the spiritual realm. We don't often think about those, but do we trust God for those? Can we be aware enough of those, of how the enemy is working, but how God is working too? So turn with me to 2 Kings chapter 6. Let's jump right in with verse 1. It says, And the sons of the prophets said to Elisha, See now, the place where we dwell with you is too small for us. Please let us go to the Jordan and let every man take a beam from there and let us make there a place where we may dwell. So he answered, go. Then one said, please consent to go with your servants. And he answered, I will go. So essentially, the sons of the prophets, these guys that Elisha is like training for ministry... It sounds like they've had almost like a community home where they live with Elisha, with their families, and they're saying it's gotten too small. So this isn't them saying, hey, we've been working really hard for God and we think we deserve something a little bigger. The idea is that the ministry is going well. There are even more people who want to be trained. Their families are growing. It's literally just too small for them. They need to build something bigger. And you notice how he even says there, let every man take a beam. You know, the idea that everybody helps out, including Elisha. So verse 4 says, He went with them, and when they came to the Jordan, they cut down trees. But as one was cutting down a tree, the iron axe head fell into the water. Way to go, klutz. And he cried out and said, Alas, master, for it was borrowed. So if you've ever loaned a tool to somebody and then you never got it back, you know how this feels, right? It's like... Man, I give my guy that ax for one day, right? And it's in the bottom of the river. But here's one of the things that I want you to notice about this. Everybody's showing up to help out. This guy is trying to be a part of what God is building, what God is doing. I mean, they're literally building so that the work of God can move forward. And he loses it. And when he does, he cries out, alas, master. You're actually going to see that phrase a few times through this chapter today. And it begins to reveal kind of like which king are we leaning into? Which side of this thing are we on? But even as I read it, it kind of begs the question for me, like, why are we chopping so close to the river anyway? But if you look at this aerial picture of the Jordan River, can you find the river in this picture? That's not water, those are trees. <laughs> so literally, when the, when the Bible says that we want to be like trees planted by streams of water, it's because you don't want to be the tree planted out of the middle of the desert where you'll just die and turn brown with everything else. So literally, that wave of trees is all along the Jordan River. No wonder that's where they have to go if every man is going to cut timber to help with this. And when you see the close-up picture, you realize just how close these trees are growing to the water. So if you imagine trying to chop here, if the axe head is going to fly off, odds are, kersplooch, right? But I love what happens next. Because once, once again, like this seemingly innocuous moment, like... For all the massive political things going on in the world, hold on while I tell you about the time this guy lost his axe. And yet, God's there to help, and Elisha jumps right in. The man of God said, where did it fall? And he showed him the place. So he cut off a stick and threw it in there, and he made the iron float. Therefore, he said, pick it up for yourself. So he reached out his hand and took it. Now, I'll be honest with you, like the first, I don't know, dozen times I read this, it feels like what a weird moment, because we're about to see this like battle with Syria. We just finished talking about Naaman, this captain from Syria, but oh, real quick, this thing about this guy lost his axe, but God made it float. It's neat what God can do, right? Anyway, back to Syria. And so really, it's like, whenever I see that stuff, it's like, okay, am I just supposed to say like, I guess God does miracles. That's cool. On to the next thing. However, two things that helped me put this together. One of them was a guy from our staff named Brad. He's the one that really gave me the phrase I'm using this morning that you got to see to believe. Because if you think about it, the axe head wasn't gone. It was still there. You just couldn't see it. Until God makes it float. And the other thing that helped me make sense of this I like to listen to Joe Foch. He's a teacher out in Philadelphia a lot, so you'll hear me mention him. But as he taught through this passage, what he brought up was this idea that losing the axe head, the edge he uses to chop down the tree as he's trying to help with God's work, can be like a metaphor for us when you feel like you've lost your spiritual edge. And maybe you feel like it's long gone and you don't know how to get it back. You don't even know where you dropped it. Maybe you heard the ker <laughs> How do you get it back? And so what I love in this moment, you notice, God makes the iron float, but not over into his hands. He makes the iron float, and then Elisha says, now, you, go pick it up. Right, go pick up where you left off. And so I think the encouragement for us, I would put it this way, see to believe, that you can pick up where your faith left off. You can pick up where your faith left off. And here's what I mean about that, because I think there are times in our lives where we are so excited about our faith and we feel like we're growing and then something happens. Maybe for you, it was the day that you got that diagnosis and you feel like you, you dropped your faith and now it's been a while and you don't know where you left it. And you're still trying to show up, and you're trying to do that church thing, but you're not feeling it anymore, and you don't know why. Yeah, maybe for you, it was something good. It was It was a new job opportunity that you got. But man, it has been consuming your life, and you didn't mean, like, but you've been so busy, and... And you used to get up early and spend time with God, but like now that you get up early and i got to get these emails cranked out, and like you didn't mean to, but somewhere along the way, you kind of dropped it. You, you lost that spiritual edge, and you don't know quite where it is or how to get it back or if God would even want you back. Maybe for you, it's a sin issue in your life, something that you look at, you know it's out of line with God's standard. And, and maybe you're not even savoring it. Maybe like you hate it too, and you don't know why you just keep struggling with this thing, and Man, my faith used to feel so good, I was tracking with God, and I don't know what changed, but to go back to God now? Which is why I love that this guy just cries out, Alas, my master! Ah, help! I guess all God wants to hear from us. Maybe you just got tired. You didn't even realize it happened, but you just got worn out from life. I think the picture that it gives us here, I would encourage you this way. As a follower of Christ... Your faith's not gone but maybe you just don't see it right now that God wants to make that float like iron to bring it back to the surface and encourage you just pick it back up just get back to work maybe that means trusting him somewhere where the circumstances aren't good maybe that means repenting of something that you've been hanging on to that that it makes you afraid to come talk to him But trust me, it's better every time. Like, I know it's hard. I've been there. But when you come back to God and you say, God, you're right. And I don't know what it's going to take, but I'll do anything. I want to be rid of this. I want to be with you. You're always glad you did. I promise you. Maybe it's just to say, God, I've been tired. Would you give me your energy, your strength to keep going? Because what you find is God is ready to help. Elisha is ready to help. God never says, oh, come on. After how long you've been gone, like, I got better people to deal with. Now, he always says, yeah, awesome, great, here it is, pick it up, let's go, let's move forward, let's keep doing that work. I was talking to a friend of mine this week, I, I asked him if I could share this with you because I think this happens to so many of us, and we often kind of get into our own heads that, like, God's going to be annoyed at me for, for letting this thing drop. And, me, and I would probably be annoyed at people, right? Like, I'd be like, dude, why won't you be more careful? Why don't you bring your own axe? Why'd you borrow that thing? But God's different with us. And I've seen it in his story because he was coming to Horizon for a while before uh, we showed up. But as I got to know him more, he described for me how it felt like, you know, a couple decades ago maybe even. Like his faith was just on fire and it was exciting all the time. He was spending time with other guys in the word, getting charged up, you know, doing stuff for God together. you know, Serving, volunteering, and he just loved it. And then somehow, I kind of lost that spiritual edge. And some of those guys moved away. Some of the same energy didn't feel like it was there. And never lost his faith. He was still involved, still doing that church thing. But just felt like something was different. And now over the last few years, he would tell you, you know, it's like my faith is more exciting than it has been in years. And I think at first when he would tell me this, it was like, because of Horizon. But I don't think that's exactly true. Like, we are definitely here to help. And like, everything that we're doing is because we want to encourage each other in that direction. But I think it's actually more like the guy in this passage. There was a day that he decided, I'm going to pick it up. I'm not going to sit here thinking about why it's gone or why I lost it. I'm just going to pick it back up. Got into a group with other men, studying God's word and discovering what it looks like to know him better. To keep growing in that thing. Started serving again, heading down to City Gospel, doing things here around the building. And so now the fun conversations we have are things about like, hey man, what do you, what do you think your spiritual gifts are? How do you think God could use those? How do you, what would it look like to enjoy just getting back to work with God, building what he's building? And so I don't know, maybe you feel like that today, or maybe you've felt like that before. And so here's one thing that I would offer you is just a really practical thing to help. If you feel like you've lost your spiritual edge but you want to get back to building in your faith and building in the kingdom of God. A few times a year, we do something called Wired to Serve. And the next one is coming up on March 26th. So that's like a little over a month out, but I want you to mark your calendar because John Kirby leads a seminar. It'll be 11 o'clock that Sunday morning. And basically what we're doing there is figuring out how has God built you to help build his kingdom? Because one of the values we share at Horizon is this idea that everybody helps out. And that comes straight from the New Testament, right? Like when Paul talks about the body of Christ, he's very specific. We do not get to look around this room and decide which people we probably don't really need their help. Right? He says we all need each other. We need everybody to be a part of this. And that God, through his spirit, has put something in you that he specifically wants to see bring joy and meaning and glory to him in your life. So, if you come to Wired to Serve, the the other thing i got to tell you is... Um, I've done it this way in the past. So this is just confession. Not here. Don't worry. (laughs) I've led these things before where I have like a short list of like, here's all the places the church needs volunteers. And so what do you know? All the spiritual gifts mean that you can help with (laughs) childcare. You know, it's like, ah, come on. You can feel that, right? So what I love about the way that John leads this is, yes, we'll definitely let you know, like where are some places that we really need help around here? But much more than that, it's trying to discover... How has God made you? What are the things you enjoy? What are the skills he's given you? What are the spiritual gifts he's put in you? That whether you're serving here at Horizon or in the community or somewhere in the world, you don't just do it because John's twisting your arm or Drew is or whatever. It's because you can't wait to get there. Because like this is that thing you and God have been talking about. So if that sounds interesting to you, um, you can jump online and see some more details there. But I'd love to see you at wired to Serve. Because that really, that, that, that miracle, that peace, that's the first thing you've got to see to believe. Right? If I just told you God can raise axe heads, you'd be like, that sounds weird. But he showed this guy and he picked it up. He cried out to his master and then he sees to believe. And I think that's why this is here in between these two things. Because see to believe becomes much more obvious in the next part of our chapter. So if you look at verse 8, it says, Now the king of Syria was making war against Israel. Okay, that's more like what I expected to hear. And he consulted with his servants saying, my camp will be in such and such a place. And the man of God sent to the king of Israel saying, beware that you do not pass this place for the Syrians are coming down there. Then the king of Israel sent someone to the place of which the man of God had told him. Thus he warned him and he was watchful there, not just once or twice. So the picture that this is painting for us is that the king of Syria, in his castle, in his war chamber, is making plans to attack Israel. Okay? Then Israel, the king of Israel, hears from Elisha exactly where that attack is going to come. Now, you and I hear that, and it's like, well, that's easy for God, right? Like, the enemy can plan whatever he wants, and maybe he thinks he's whispering in secret, but If God is God, and he knows everything, and he sees everything, and he's all-powerful, hey, let me just tell you real quick, Elisha, pass this on to the king. This is where they're going to attack, so just watch out. So literally, the king of Israel finds out where the attack is going to be, and just moves, I just warn everybody, and the attack fails. So you can imagine, in the next verse, how this feels to the king of Syria. It says, Therefore the heart of the king of Syria was greatly troubled by this thing. And he called his servants and said to them, Will you not show me which of us is for the king of Israel? And one of his servants said, None, my lord, O king. But Elisha, the prophet who is in Israel, tells the king of Israel the words that you speak in your bedroom. So now imagine you are this pawn, this servant of the king, and he demands you tell him who's the traitor. Because we know enough history to know, like, if you don't come up with a name, it's probably you. (laughs) You can imagine him trembling as he says, Okay, uh, remember Naaman, and remember he said there's a real God there, and remember there's a man of God who hears from him, so I'm just telling you it wasn't us, it was the man of God. Well, then how do we solve this problem? All right, pick up the next verse, verse 13. So he said, go and see where he is, that I may send and get him. And it was told him, saying, surely he is in Dothan. Dothan appears to be Elisha's hometown. Therefore he sent horses and chariots and a great army there, and they came by night and surrounded the city. So now the picture is, forget the king of Israel. He is specifically attacking Elisha where he lives. Ever feel like the enemy comes after you where you live? Like somehow he found out just the right way to get to you and he's coming after you. In fact, it says not only that he sent a spy, he just sent all of the armies and now the entire city is surrounded by horses and chariots from the enemy's army. All of the enemy's resources directed at Elisha. So now, Elisha's servant Wakes up one morning. It says in verse 15 that when the servant of the man of God arose early and went out there was an army surrounding the city with horses and chariots. And his servant said to him, alas my master. You hear that phrase again? Alas my master. What shall we do? Great question. (laughs) Great question. Because there's two of us and we are surrounded by armies. But look at Elisha's response in verse 16. So he answered, Do not fear. Have you noticed how often God says that in the Bible? And if you look, if you look through them, notice how often it's not when everything's going just fine, <laughs> right? It's not when people are laying back, chewing on grapes, and sipping wine that God stops by and says, Hey, it looks like things are going okay. Just a reminder not to fear, you know, in case anything. Yep, we're good, God. We're not afraid. Right? It's usually in crisis. It's usually just about when you're going to go over the fear cliff that God intervenes and says, I know what you're facing. Do not fear. Remember who I am. In times of peace, in times of confidence, you know who I am. That hasn't changed. Look at how he puts this. Do not fear for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. Guys got to be thinking, okay, one, two, armies, right? But Elisha prayed and said, Lord, I pray open his eyes that he may see. Then the Lord opened the eyes of the young man and he saw and behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. I think this is why the miracle of the axe head is in this place. Because the axe head wasn't gone. He just couldn't see it. But God knew. And you notice in this prayer, Elisha doesn't summon the chariots of fire. They're already there. The servant couldn't see it, but that didn't mean they weren't there or that God wasn't at work or that he wasn't going to protect them. Elisha merely prays, let him see it. And so I think the second encouragement from this passage for us is see to believe that the enemy is outmaneuvered and outnumbered. You believe that? I want you to believe that. God wants you to believe that from 2 Kings chapter 6. Because this is not just some strange one-off moment. Right? We see this in the life of David. We see this in the life of Daniel. We see this in the life of Jehoshaphat. We see this with Gideon. I mean, you see this time and time and time again. And when Ephesians talks to us about spiritual warfare in chapter 6, it even reminds you, hey, the battle is not against flesh and blood. Right? If you think that what you see is all there is, you have a surprise coming, just like this young man found. We have a confidence in a God who has resources not only that you can't even imagine, but you can't even see. And there is not like a yin and yang kind of balance as good faces evil and who knows how it's all going to end up. Your enemy, the great accuser, can you hear me? Has already lost. Your king. Has no rival, no equal. He has already won the battle and he has told you that in him, through his forgiveness, you are more than conquerors. Oh, conquerors is the easy part. We're already conquerors. Guess what? You're more than conquerors in Christ Jesus. The enemy is outmaneuvered and outnumbered at every turn. Whether you can see it or not. I love that picture of confidence that God is giving us. But I also know that this is one of the places that the Bible can begin to sound a little bit strange. Like this spiritual realm kind of stuff. Like, I'm really here more for like, how do I be patient with my wife? And how do I get my kids to obey more? Does the Bible have that kind of stuff? Because this spiritual realm thing gets a little bit freaky, right? So let me just encourage you. This is something that kind of helped me in my own spiritual journey. And actually, two weeks from today in the exploring series. So this is the equipping service where we do books of the Bible verse by verse, digging deep into God's word for application. But at 11 o'clock, we also have what we call an exploring service. And the idea behind that service is that it is a fantastic place to bring friends, neighbors, family members, people you know, even to bring your own questions who aren't totally convinced about God, Jesus, and the Bible. And so we begin to get to kind of enjoy those questions together. So two weeks from today in the exploring service, we're starting a series called Down to a Science. Because a lot of times, this is the place that we struggle, right? Like, I can see the things around me, I know that's real. Knock on wood, right? Spiritual stuff, like the the spiritual realm, I mean, I, I don't know. And so what we're looking at in this series is how we often pit God and science against each other as if they can't be friends. But the idea is that God created science, and so if we really dig deeper and deeper into what science reveals and proves about the known world, it actually points us back to God. And so that might be something you enjoy if you have some of your own questions about those kinds of things, or something that you might like to invite somebody to. And I'll give you just a sneak peek from something I'm sharing uh, on the week that I have. I got Math Week. Yeah, who's excited for Math Week at Horizon? So good news is we're not doing any math homework. It, we're not going to do, uh, you know, calculations and you don't need to bring a calculator. Um, but here's, here's one of the things that I found really interesting about this and why I'm super pumped for math week. I, I read this story about a guy named Edwin Abbott Abbott. Not a typo. His parents made this decision. <laughs> Same middle name as his last name, Edwin Abbott Abbott. But among other things that his parents did, they raised Edwin in the church. They taught him what it meant to know God. They taught him what it meant to believe in Jesus Christ and know him as your king. And so as Edwin grew, he also became a brilliant mathematician. So he's actually a best-selling author by writing a math book. Like most of us buy math books because we have to. But he actually wrote this one as a fictional story and became a best-selling author. Because what he was trying to figure out was... The more I dig into math, the more I see that things have to be proven, they have to be logical. Does God still fit with that? So he wrote this book called Flatland, and Flatland is the story of a square. So it's kind of like geography too, like I know it's just getting more and more interesting. (laughs) It's the story of a square who lives on a two-dimensional plane, right? Flat land, no third dimension, never heard of the third dimension, couldn't even imagine the third dimension, 2D plane, so when he looks straight ahead, all he sees is like the edge of other shapes as he looks around his world. Until one day, a sphere visits him from the third dimension. And at first, as he's hanging out in his 2D world, all he's ever known and all the things he can prove, he hears a voice, but he doesn't see anybody. And the voice says, I'm in the third dimension, and I'd like to talk to you. (laughs) Right, I'm going crazy, right? Then the sphere enters into flatland just enough that what the square sees looks like a point. But as the sphere moves through that plane, it begins to look like a circle, and then a bigger circle, and then a smaller circle until it disappears completely. And yet he can still hear the voice. What was that? Who are you? And so the story goes on with how the sphere pulls the square out of the second dimension and reveals to him all the wonderful things about the third dimension. Now for us, that's easy to imagine, right? We live in the third dimension. So you can see how someone in the second dimension couldn't understand all the wonderful 3D objects we have. But obviously, the third dimension is easy for us to fathom. But now I think you see kind of what Edwin was getting at. As logical as it is for the square to believe the third dimension even though he can't see it and doesn't understand it, it is just as logical for us to believe that there is a God who may be on another plane. That there is a God who exists in an even higher reality. And rather than feeling like that's some kind of weird voodoo magic, it's like, I guess that's not that different from what 3D must look like to 2D. So what would it look like if God spoke? And you feel like God was encouraging you, even though you didn't exactly see him or or hear him, but you hear him through his word. What would it look like if God actually entered into our 3D plane, into our lives, into our world? What if Jesus can walk on water, raise the dead, heal the blind, feed the 5,000, calm the storm? Because he really is God. And he exists in a way that we can't fully fathom. But we can see parts of it from time to time. That he gives us a glimpse into that greater reality. That's why Paul in the New Testament is constantly encouraging us. Don't just think about this world. You can't always have your eyes looking down at the physical. You have to look up at the invisible. At what else God is doing. And so that is what's going on in our passage. They can see the physical armies, but they are surrounded by the armies of the Lord. And so let's see how this plays out. Verse 18 says So when the Syrians came down to him, Elisha prayed to the Lord and said, Strike this people, the armies now, strike this people, I pray, with blindness. And he struck them with blindness according to the word of Elisha. Now Elisha said to them, This is not the way, nor is this the city. Follow me, and I will bring you to the man whom you seek. But he led them to Samaria. This is where the king of Israel calls home base. So he's being a little bit fuzzy here, because technically he brought them to Elisha. He is Elisha, but I'll bring you to the man. I'll I'll show you who he is. Come with me somewhere else. But look what it says then in verse 20. So it was, when they had come to Samaria, so now they're in the city where their enemy lies, that Elisha said, Lord, open the eyes of these men, right? Let the Syrians see again, that they may see. And the Lord opened their eyes, and they saw, and there they were inside Samaria. Now, when the king of Israel saw them, he said to Elisha, My father, shall I kill them? Shall I kill them? Notice he asks it twice, and he doesn't say, My father, what should we do? How should we handle this? Like, clearly he's searching for an answer. Want want me to kill him? This is going to be great. (laughs) Okay, how do you think Elisha's going to answer him? I mean, it's Old Testament, right? That's probably what we're supposed to do. I think God's like full of wrath in the Old Testament, I think, right? Okay, so before we get the answer to that, I want to show you this verse. Therefore, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him a drink. For in so doing, you will heap coals of fire on his head. You know where that's from? So a guy brought this up at our men's group a couple of weeks ago. We're sitting here on Tuesday night, and he reads this verse. And in my head, I'm like, I think I've heard that before. I I think that's from Romans. Like Paul is teaching us how to live at peace with everyone, like as much as it depends upon you, right? Try to live at peace with people, love your enemy, and here's how. I mean, it could even be a Jesus thing, right? He's definitely the one that taught us to love your enemies. So somewhere in the New Testament. Let me show you where this is actually from. Proverbs 25, most likely written about a thousand years before Jesus comes to earth and a couple hundred years before Elisha is even born. So literally our Elisha story today chronologically is after this has already been written, but I get partial credit (laughs) because Romans 12 quotes Proverbs 25. And the reason I want to show this to you is because, yes, God's wrath against sin is real. When we talk about Jesus dying on the cross, that wasn't an accident. That was Jesus satisfying the wrath of God on your behalf. The New Testament says that we were all like enemies of God until Jesus showed up and loved us anyway. And so what I want you to realize is that God is the same yesterday, today, and forever what he spoke in Proverbs 25 before Elisha was ever born is still true for Elisha. It's still true for Paul in Romans 12, and it's still true for us today. And in some ways, I think that's the hardest part of this chapter. Because look at how this ends up. Verse 22. But he answered, you shall not kill them. Would you kill those whom you've taken captive with your sword and your bow? Like that's just being a poor sport. Set food and water before them. Okay, can't we just let them go? No, set food and water before them that they may eat and drink and go to their master. Then he prepared a great feast for them and after they ate and drank, he sent them away and they went to their master and check this out. So the bands of Syrian raiders came no more into the land of Israel. The same Syrian raiders who were capturing little girls and making them slaves. After they experienced this moment, Where God closes their eyes but opens their eyes. When they receive not beheadings, but a feast from their enemies. They say, you know what we're not doing? We're not going into Israel anymore. Now I know that the enemy always has their own choice to respond. But here's what I think this is encouraging for us. What makes this so difficult. Can you ask God how to help your enemies see to believe? Because I'm probably more likely to say, Heavenly Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for this food. Thank you for my family. Shall I kill my enemies? (laughs) Or do you want to do it? Right? That's probably more natural for us, even though you might not voice it. But we're hoping he takes them down. Would I be willing to pray, God, help them see who you are that they might believe? I think one of the most inspiring stories like that for me uh, you may have been familiar with this, but it's a woman named Elizabeth Elliot. So Elizabeth's husband Jim was a missionary uh, with some other men to a tribe called the Aka's, which apparently that was meant to be derogatory. So today they're called the huarani and they go to this tribe. They send gifts ahead of them. They're hoping that they get like when then when we land, they'll know we're the nice people who sent all those gifts. But that tribe has almost no sense of the future. Culturally, like they barely think of tomorrow, they don't think past tomorrow. So if killing you today seems like it helps me, I just kill you today. No sense of the repercussions or who might kill me tomorrow or what, what else might happen. And so the long story short is that when Jim and these other missionaries show up, they land on the beach thinking that they're going to find friends and instead they find enemies who kill all of them at Spearpoint. So if not before, now these are enemies. But one of those men's sister and Elizabeth, the wife of Jim Elliot, decided that they still wanted to show God's love to these enemies. They still wanted to try to reach them with the gospel, to tell them who Jesus is, to tell them about forgiveness, to tell them about eternal life. I don't know about you, but like my head is not in that space. But as you read the rest of Elizabeth's story, and and you can read books that she's written, and she's, she's talked many places. She passed away a few years ago, but just an incredible story. And one of the things that she said, that her strength does not come from herself. She said, the power is Christ in me. That what matters is Christ in me, not me in my circumstances. And I think that's what we have to realize. Like For as cool as it sounds like that there's like Chariots of fire and crazy stuff going on. Do you realize if you were a follower of Christ, it is not just angel armies serving as ministering spirits and who knows how many times they've protected you. that We didn't even see it. God says that his own spirit dwells in you to empower you for this life. And so Elizabeth, her example is inspiring to me. Because you will meet generations of people from the Huarani tribe in heaven (laughs) because she chose to love her enemies. Now maybe you're not surrounded by literal armies and maybe you're not surrounded by warring tribes. But I bet you can think about some places that it's hard to love others. Maybe you can think about some places that, that fear wants to creep in. And so here's how I think we can wrap all of this together today. Let's take Elisha's encouragement. Do not be afraid, for the battle is not yours but God's. In fact, think about this. By the end of this story, by the end of this event, how bloody was the battle? Oh wait, there was no battle. Right? We see times where we know, like you see it in the Old Testament, they march into a real battle and God is with them there. But there are other times God stops the battle before it even starts. In fact, we see multiple times throughout the Bible, I I just love this, so I won't go into the details, but trust me, (laughs) and if you want, come talk to me afterwards. I'll tell you where they all are. Where people just pray, and while they're praying, God wins the battle. Where people just sing, and while they're worshiping God, God wins the battle. And by the time they show up, all that's left to do is pick up the spoils. I know there are places where you see the battle. I'll bet you there are places where you never even know that a battle didn't happen because God was fighting on your behalf. And so here's what we'd like to do to kind of end the service today. I'd like to pray with you, but I'm also inviting the band to come out because we have a song that um, you may have heard it, but it might be new to you. But I'm gonna encourage you in just a moment to stand with us and sing because we're gonna pray right now. We're gonna worship right now that whatever your battle is, You know it better than I do, but God knows it better than you do. And so we're going to sing and worship the God who overpowers the enemy. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your promises. Thank you that you are at work even when we can't see it. Lord, you know every battle we're facing and what kind of battle that is. And so I'm just asking you in this moment as we sing, as we lift our voices to you, would you open our eyes that we might see to believe that you are the God of angel armies and that the battle belongs to you. And we'll ask that in Jesus' name as we sing, amen.